you are blessed. I hope that you see that. I hope that you believe it. Made in the image of God, you are beautiful, fearfully and wonderfully made. And yes, you are also broken. We all are. But that does not negate the greater truth of your original blessing. God made you to reflect His glory, His character. And despite the brokenness of sin and the ways that we are wounded or perhaps wounding, God loves you. He loves all of humanity and all of creation enough that He sent His Son to redeem this world, to heal and forgive, to restore and to bring us into union with the Father. God comes to us and He graciously opens our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive this gift of life. We are in Christ born anew. We are a new creation, as Paul writes. And it's as though God pushed the reset button in us who are in Christ and enabling us to experience new life, transformed life, a life of love that has no end. And through Christ, we are in union with the divine community, with Father, Son, and Spirit, destined to be everlasting splendors. And even now, recipients of and conduits of God's mercy and compassion. We are blessed, not merely for our own comfort and joy, but to bless others. We are blessed by blessing others. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Generosity is a kingdom value. In giving, we receive. That's a kingdom principle. Generosity is a kingdom uh, responsibility to whom much is given, Scripture says, much is required. What God has done for us and in us, He wants to do through us. God sends us into the world, just as He sent Jesus. He sends us into the world to be salt and light, to be ambassadors and witnesses. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, let your light shine before people so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We, the body of Christ, the local church, the hands and feet of Jesus, are the hope of the world. Government, business, education cannot solve the disease of the human soul. It has its role. It has its place. But they don't change a hate-filled heart into a loving heart. They can't turn a selfish person into someone who serves, someone who is greedy, into someone who is generous. It is the church that is able to impact hearts through the gospel and to change lives and bless communities. One of the reasons that the early church flourished and spread despite severe persecution was the way that it offered hope and healing in real and concrete ways to orphans and widows, to women and children, to the poor, the imprisoned, the sick, the diseased, and the dying. Real Christians walking in Christ's footsteps, motivated by love, and living out their calling are a blessing in life-giving and life-changing ways the world over. In the scripture this morning, Paul reminds us of the many blessings that we have received and the response that it prompts in us. Paul writes in our scripture this morning, verse 14, Christ's love, Christ love prom- compels us. 
Christ's love compels us. It reminds me of that scripture, we love because he first loved us. And yet the word compel has some oomph behind it, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's got some push. It's got some energy. It emboldens us. Christ's love compels us. And Paul says, Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to bless God. We are blessed to bless others. When we are faithful witnesses, shining lights, seasoned salt, and kingdom ambassadors, God is glorified and blessed, and so is the world. Paul reminds us that we have been reconciled to God through Christ and that that message of reconciliation has been committed to us. Jesus came to heal hurts, to remove dividing walls, to bring unity. In Christ, there are no divisions of race, class, gender, or any of the arbitrary and uh, man-made divisions that we put in place. In a world torn by strife and division, we Christ followers are to be healers, reconcilers, uniting people, not further dividing, which is another good reason to divorce ourselves, perhaps not from politics, but certainly from partisanship, which hinders more than helps. We are to proclaim the good news of forgiveness and to practice it, and as far as it is possible on our part, to live at peace with everyone. Does our stance, our position, our rhetoric, our doctrine lead people to God or does it create unnecessary obstacles and barriers? We are called to build bridges, to remove barriers, to mend broken ties, and to foster a spirit of unity instead of division. Friends, in language, in love, in listening before you speak, determine to be a blessing and not a bane. When others go low, you go high. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. 2 Corinthians 5.16, our verse this morning is interesting as well. Paul says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. As believers who are born of God... We see ourselves, we see God and others differently. I said this last week, when, when you are converted, when you cross over from death to life, when you come alive to God through Christ, things change. Your perspective changes, your vision, your understanding changes. You see the world and yourself from a different vantage. We see through eyes of faith, through a new paradigm. Conversion entails a converted criteria for evaluating what is valuable and true. In Christ, Paul says that he no longer evaluates others according to the world's standards or expectations, just as he no longer evaluates Christ in this way. Through enlightened eyes, Paul sees the truth about Jesus and his death. What Paul is getting at here is that before he was converted, before he had his encounter with Christ on the road to Emmaus, or on, on the road to I don't know, Damascus, thank you, all those cities, before that, Paul merely saw Jesus as a, as a man, as a, a, um, a troublemaker, an itinerant preacher from Galilee, and the fact that Jesus died on the cross, 
Paul would have seen him as cursed of God. Scripture says cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. But when Paul came to faith, he saw things differently. He saw that Jesus wasn't merely a man, he's the Son of God. And that Jesus wasn't cursed, he came to take away the curse of sin. And so Paul says, I no longer regard Christ from a human perspective. And so that changes his vision also in how he sees people, others, through enlightened eyes. He sees others made in the image of God, redeemed by Christ, and thus immensely loved and valued by God, which makes every human life, every human life, precious. This new way of seeing and relating to others, even to those who may be different from us, even to those who we perceive to be our enemies, prompts a new way of engaging others and the world. We are blessed to bless. Both Jesus and Paul, by the way, command us to bless those, to bless and not to curse those who persecute you and to pray for those who mean you harm. When's the last time we've done that? Jude says that not even the archangel Michael dared curse curse or bring an accusation against the devil. In James, James says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's likeness. This should not be, James says. Our words have power. We are to bless and not to curse. Curses come from a flawed judgment, our skewed knowledge of good and evil. Still with me? Oh, you are so blessed. Listen, we've been reconciled to God, forgiven. We've been pardoned and freed, clothed with Christ, filled with God's Spirit. God has, instead of cursing us, God has blessed us. He has lavished on us His love and grace. He has called us to be His own dear children. We are heirs with Christ, Scripture says. We are going to reign with Him forever. We are sinners declared to be saints. We are the lost who have been found. We are the blind who now see. We are the beggars who have been given the bread of life. And what we have received, spiritually, eternally, heavenly, we are to share with others. This great good news. In the same way, what we have been blessed with in earthly, temporal, physical blessings, we are also to share those things. As Americans, we are blessed with material wealth. If you earn, listen to this, if you earn $1,500 a year, a year, $1,500 a year, you are in the world's top 20% of income earners. If you earn more than $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10%. If you earn more than $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of income earners in the world. If you have assets worth more than $60,000, your savings, your 401k, the equity that you have in your home, if you have assets worth more than $60,000 a year, you are in the top 10%. 10% of the world's wealthiest. If you have housing, adequate food, clothing, and transportation, you own a car, 
You are in the top 15% of the world's population. We are rich. We are rich. Think how much we spend on ourselves or hoard. There's a reason why Jesus taught us not to worry and taught us to pray, give us this day, our daily bread. Most of us, many of us, worry about when we retire, whether we're going to be able to live comfortably enough, while millions, if not billions in the world, are wondering where their daily bread is going to come from. We are blessed to bless. Now, I say blessed, and, and, and there's also a sense in which all of these material blessings can also be a curse. Jesus gave sobering warnings about the deceitfulness of wealth. When we rely on wealth for, for our comfort and security, it becomes a false idol. We are the rich who Jesus gave stern warnings to again and again and again in the Scriptures. Everything we have is a trust from God. It's not even ours. We are supposed to be conduits, not reservoirs. Giving and lending wisely, but freely and generously. In fact, one of the significant and maybe only ways of freeing yourself from greed, from covetousness, from the deceitfulness of wealth, is simply by to, to release it, to let it go, to give it away. If our giving does not pinch us, then we aren't giving enough. And I'm not talking only about giving to the church, though it includes faithfulness in that area as well. But giving to ease the pain and suffering of others, the poor, the starving, those without adequate drinking water, those in need of health care, those seeking refuge and safety, those fleeing terrorism and genocide, the working poor, missions and ministries that are bringing real hope and healing to the lost and the hurting. David Platt, in his book, Radical, said, If our lives do not reflect radical compassion for the poor, there's reason to wonder if Christ is in us at all. If our lives do not reflect radical compassion for the poor, there's reason to wonder if Christ is in us at all. Now, writing a check, dropping some coins in a plate, is certainly a blessing, but there is a greater blessing still. Like Jesus, we are called to humble ourselves to empty ourselves, to stoop, to serve, to make adjustments, to keep room and margins in our lives so that we can be available to others. We can put ourselves, as Jesus did, in solidarity with others, the poor, the broken, the despised, those who suffer injustice, those who are lost and those left out. I'm blown away every time I think about the incarnation, that God would become human, that God would put himself in our place, in our shoes, to live among us, to walk with us, to suffer the injustices and sorrows of this world, to live for us and then to die for us, that God would do that. Who does that? God. And he tells us to do the same, to take up our crosses and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus modeled for us what it means to have compassion, to work for justice, and to be in solidarity with others. Or as the prophet Micah said, to act justly, to, do, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Jesus did it in spades. And we are invited to walk in his footsteps, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others, to show compassion, to love, 
and to identify with those who are treated unjustly. Those who humble themselves in this way will, like Jesus, be exalted. I am blown away by the incarnation, what God did for us, but I'm also challenged and humbled to follow in Jesus' footsteps. I am not Jesus. I'm not a Mother Teresa. I'm not a Martin Luther King Jr. I'm not a Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But I hope and I pray that in some part, in some small way, I would be. And in increasing measure. For the sake and the cause of Christ. I think that many of us have difficulty putting ourselves in the shoes of others because it requires us to go outside of our comfort zone. I think many of us are even challenged to even imagine or think what life might be like for others who are different than us. We just don't even want to go there. And and most of us live comfortably enough that we don't have to go there. But I think that we are called to go there. And only the love of Christ will compel us to step out of our comfort zone. We won't be the blessing that I I think that we want to be, that I pray that we want to be, if we aren't willing to go there, to have the conversation, to listen to people whose experiences and perspective is different than ours. To hear their frustrations, their anger, their fears about the future. Jesus blessed us to bless others. Jesus taught and modeled what it is to be in solidarity with others. And he invites us to put ourselves in the shoes of others. There is a an ad, a video that we're going to show you right now, an ad that was gone viral on on Facebook from our neighbors to the north. And uh, I just want you to watch it. It's short. And see what it means to have compassion and to be in solidarity with others in, in a way that blesses. Well, it's coming. I could fill in the silence, but I'm tired of hearing my own voice. (laughs) Maybe I should just move forward. Patience? Okay. Listen, if if you have a pen or a pencil, I'm going to give you some, uh, as we wrap this morning, I'm going to give you some concrete ways to put this message into place. If the video is ready to go at any point, uh, Shelby, you can just wave me, flag me. Let me give you some concrete ways to put this message into place, okay? And uh, I'm going to give you seven different things that you can do, and uh, you don't have to do all of them. 
You might just do one of them, okay? Choose one, and you don't have to do it in the way that I tell you to do it. You can modify it if you need to or want to by your own circumstances, or maybe something that I say will prompt something else in you. First one is this. Um, today is the last day for the, um, uh, bringing food in for the, uh, God's food pantry, but we're not going to deliver those groceries to First Covenant until maybe Wednesday or Thursday of this week. So you still have a couple of days, and this was, this, this was going to be my challenge. You can alter it if you want. Whatever you spend on groceries in a week, okay, double that and bring it here. Honestly, a church our size, we've done great. The folks at First Cove, when they saw what's out there, they're very happy with what we brought. We could fill that narthex with groceries. Seriously, this congregation could fill that narthex with groceries, okay? Um, Second thing, Whatever you give to the church in a week or a month, double it. And I'm not asking you to give you the double amount to the church, okay? Give what you've committed to the church, but double what you give in a week or a month, and then find a person or a place or a ministry or, or an organization. It uh, doesn't even have to be a Christian organization. Something that is uh, bringing life and healing and hope to others, that is blessing our community, uh, and, and take what you would... I say double, give what you've committed to the church, but then take that same amount for a week or a month and find a place to bless others with your wealth and see if you even miss it, okay? And also see the ways that God might bless you through that. Thirdly, third idea. I saw the rest of you scratch that one off. Um, Instead of sitting in front of the television set one night this week, go out. Visit someone who you know is alone or lonely. Maybe you invite them to dinner. Maybe you take them out to dinner. But get out of your house. Go out and be with someone who needs someone. Be a blessing to someone who's alone. Fourth idea. Find a place where you can volunteer. In the church, in the community. Be a mentor in the schools, St. Susan's, whatever it is. Find a place Um, where you can bless others. Fifth uh, idea. Take some time to reflect. I hope, I don't think this is the case, but I would hope that whatever you do for livelihood, for career, job, that you see that God has you in that place for a reason and that what you do is your ministry. Whatever you do. I don't care if you're putting widgets on gadgets or if you're in a classroom teaching. That is your ministry. You are serving Christ. You are serving God in that ministry. But ask yourself, how can I be a blessing to my coworkers? How can I bless my employer or my employees? Okay? Be, be intentional about that. Um, sixth idea. Reach out to someone who is different than you. Okay? And maybe you go out for coffee. Maybe you just sit down and chat with them. Ask them what life is like for them. Ask them what their frustrations and their fears are like. Get to know them. Listen to their stories. You will be a blessing simply by listening. You can't have compassion if you don't understand, if you don't listen, if you don't hear. You can't put yourself in the shoes of other people if you're not willing to listen. And so bless others by listening to their story, hearing their perspective on life. And then lastly... You can truly bless others by simply lifting, lifting them up in prayer. 
okay? Do not estimate, underestimate the power of prayer. A uh, friend of mine saw um, a member of our congregation who uh, is a friend of his as well and, and uh, this last week and just saw this person um, arriving at work and getting out of their car and it prompted him to simply pray for this individual. There wasn't anything else he could do, but he, he felt prompted to pray for this person. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not this bold, but I've been with, with friends, sometimes other pastors, who are bold enough to ask clerks in the store or waitresses or waiters in the restaurant to ask them um, what their uh, prayer needs are, and then even praying for them. And I've seen, I've seen waitresses break down in tears because no one's asked them what they're struggling with. No one's asked them uh, what they could be praying for. How many people do we encounter every day that you can imagine no one's praying for them? Bless others by praying for them, lifting them up in prayer. Marriages, families, the church, our community, our nation, be a blessing by lifting those things up in prayer. God made you to be beautiful and to bring beauty to this world. He made you to receive and to give love. He made you like him, overflowing with kindness and generosity and full of compassion, mercy, and justice. To be or not to be, blessed to bless. That is the question today. Blessing one person might not change the whole world, but it'll change the world for that one person. Be the blessing that this world needs.